Good morning, Aggie fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Statesman Sports Desk Podcast. I'm your host, Parker Ballantyne, and thank you for tuning in today after a chaotic weekend of football for the Utah State Aggies. Uh, let's take a look and review some of what, what transpired over the weekend. We'll look, uh, we'll look at Utah State's game against the Colorado State Rams, our homecoming game. We'll take a look at the rest of the conference and what it means for Utah State a great weekend for Utah State in our own game and around the conference. Things are really starting to shake out in our favor, so we'll go over everything going on in the conference. Uh, we'll take a brief look forward at our game coming up this week against Hawaii. It's an afternoon game, um, so it should be pretty easy for everyone to get there to it. So if you don't have your tickets, make sure you're, uh, make sure you're getting tickets to go to that game. And Utah State basketball also tips off this week with an exhibition game against Montana Western on Wednesday. So let's take a look at Utah State's football game um, against the Colorado State Rams. It was the most chaotic ending to a football game that I have seen since we played Colorado State in 2019. Colorado State probably hates playing Utah State now. We've talked about, we talked about it on the show, and we've kind of joked about it for the past couple weeks and the past couple years, but man, do the Rams probably hate playing the Aggies at this point. Uh, one of the most chaotic games I have really ever seen, really from start to finish, but particularly that, that ending uh, was, was pretty insane, one of the most chaotic things I've ever seen. So um, what exactly happened was Colorado State, was down 24 to 26 or Utah State had a two-point lead going into the presumable last drive of the game. Colorado State just looked unstoppable on the first half of this drive. Really all they needed to do with a two-point lead for Utah State, all the Rams needed to do was to get into field goal range and kick a field goal and it would have happened as time expired. Um, if they could get down and, and score a touchdown, that would be fine. All they needed to do was was either score or get within field goal range because this was going to be the last drive of the game. And Colorado State gets a first down, gets to all the way down to the 24-yard line with just a few seconds to go. And the play that got them there was a 15-yard pass good for a first down. So they had a down to spare and... What probably should have happened and what I think was supposed to happen as I put together pieces from post-game interviews and things is that the Rams were supposed to snap the ball and spike the ball to give them time to get their field goal unit out and kick a pretty straightforward 42-yard field goal. But what ends up happening instead is Colorado State runs their field goal unit onto the field and takes a really rushed field goal that ended up missing, and time expires, Utah State wins the game. I'm not sure what happened. I've been getting tons of texts and calls asking, like, what happened. Um, from my view on the field, I couldn't tell who initiated the uh, the field goal unit coming on. Um, from watching the replay, it looks like the offense gets the first down and then runs off the field, which would trigger the field goal unit to come onto the field. 
Um, I've heard other people say that it was probably the, that it could have been the special teams coordinator um, jumping the gun a little bit and throwing his team out there. And the bottom line is once you have players running onto the field from the sideline, you can't take them off the field and you could still have your field goal unit snap the ball and spike it. But the way the substitutions were happening, it was so chaotic that there was never really a time when they could have snapped the ball without taking a penalty because there was like 20 guys on the field at one point for the Rams. And so Utah State got lined up and the Rams were still having guys run out and basically grab their replacement and say, get off the field. And then they would have guys running off the field. So they couldn't have snapped the ball any sooner than they did as soon as somebody runs onto the field. So as soon as they had somebody on the sideline run onto the field, that play was kind of doomed. And the clock actually wasn't running when it should have been, but basically it it didn't end up mattering because that play was going to be the last play of the game no matter what happened. So once Colorado State started running guys onto the field, whoever's choice it was, whatever disconnect happened to for that to happen, as soon as that happened, there was no way they were going to have another play and there was no way you could regroup. And so they just kind of let it happen. And what ended up happening was a missed field goal. If you haven't seen the clip at this point, you have to go back and watch it. It was just so reminiscent of two years ago when we played Colorado state, when they throw a Hail Mary touchdown to win the game and suddenly the referee isn't wearing a hat and we later learn there was illegal touching the the play doesn't count I mean it was it was just so reminiscent of like a late game break that went Utah State's favor Colorado State at the end of the day didn't win the game but they probably should have and that's two games in the past four years that they probably should have won if it weren't for the last play going a little bit different but that's why you play ahead instead of play from behind. And Utah State has been on the other end of that a lot this year. This was the first game all year where Utah State did not have a 10, 10 or more point deficit to overcome to win the game. And you know what? When you play from ahead, that's the perks. That the, the, That's what you get for playing ahead is you're not the one trying to make a Hail Mary pass at the end of the game. You're not the one trying to hit a last-minute field goal. So at the end of the day... Utah State ends up winning the game. Utah State advances to 5-2 and two because of the way they played every second leading up to the past the last five seconds of the game. And that's, that's the way football games are played. Football games aren't just played in the last two minutes of, of the fourth quarter. Football games are played for three full quarters and then the entire fourth quarter. So, you know, you we as Aggie fans can talk about how lucky we are, and I'm sure... Uh, Rams fans are going to be saying the exact opposite, talking about how they may have uh, been snubbed a little bit. But at the end of the day, that's what you get for playing ahead of the game. That, that's what you get for leading the game most of the game. So we talked about it last week. There's no such thing as an ugly win. This was just there's no such thing as an ugly win round two for Utah State. But it's true. Uh, Scotty G pointed it out last week after the win against UNLV. There's no such thing as an ugly win because an ugly win is still a W in the win column. And that's what Utah State was able to accomplish this week against Colorado State in, of course, dramatic fashion. It wouldn't be We wouldn't have it any other way against the Colorado State Rams at this point. 
I'm just excited to see what we have in store next year to continue one-upping ourselves in this ridiculous contest of what what can we have be the most dramatic final play be. So um, this game, if nothing else, should have been selling tickets for next year in Fort Collins because that one is going to be entertaining. Um, this Utah State-Colorado State game is becoming more and more entertaining um, each and every time we play. Let's look closer at the actual game, what happened. Like I said, what what gave us the opportunity to be in a position where we weren't relying on a field goal going in to win the game? What what went differently for Utah State to be in the lead for most of the game, which hasn't happened all year, and to be able to be on the other end of a comeback that Utah State was able to snub and stop where we came back against Washington State, we came back against Air Force. Really, we kind of came back against North Dakota, and we came back against UNLV. So what what went differently for Utah State? I think a lot of things went well. A lot of people are probably wanting to focus on the bad. Uh, Utah State played. Uh, there was there was sloppy plays, for sure. Uh, there were times where this game seemed like a race to the bottom, where Colorado State and Utah State both had bad plays. Colorado State, off the top of my head, I think had two plays with two or more flags thrown on on one play against them. So really kind of a sloppy game on their end, but also Utah State obviously didn't play our best ball either, or else it would have gone a little bit differently. So uh, definitely a lot of negative that people are going to want to talk about, but what gave us the position to be ahead in the the fourth quarter? That's what I want to look at, and that's what I want to focus on. What went right? The first thing that went right is... We opened the game much better than we usually do. And much better than we usually do for Utah State is still not a great it's still not a great way to open a game. Logan Bonner still threw his obligatory first quarter interception. I keep saying that's gotta stop, but at the same time he's five and two when he throws a interception in the first quarter, so I guess he's he knows something that I don't. He has a way to figure things out that, that I can't figure out, but we did open the game much better than than we have in the past, and that's that's despite not scoring at all in the first quarter. Our first quarters are still, even after this game, are, are still a little bit rocky, but um, coming out and scoring 20 in the second quarter to Colorado State's 14, um, I think was probably a better way to start the game than, say, last week where we did score in the first quarter, but we gave up 17 in the first quarter. So I would rather go scoreless in the first quarter on both sides of the ball. You know, uh, us and the opponent both go scoreless in the first quarter and then dominate the second quarter, then have to play from behind. You know, going back to the BYU game, BYU in the first quarter was 10-3. to uh, Boise State was 10-0 to for the Broncos. Against Air Force, it was 10-7 to for the Falcons. North Dakota, we all remember that they blew us out of the water in that first quarter. 21 to 7. Of course, they would only pick up three more points the rest of the game. And Washington State, we scored first. We had that field goal that we scored first and had that in the first quarter, 3 to 0. So, only the second time all year where we were not outscored in the first quarter. And it's because the first quarter went 0 0 on both sides. And with this football team, I'm okay with that. I'm okay going 0-0 in the first quarter because generally our second and third quarter have been really, really uh, played played really well in the second and third quarter. Um, I think it comes down to our offense in the first quarter has some turnovers that put the 
defense in a tough position, and I think sometimes the defense gets um, off to a slow start in that first quarter. We give up more points than we should. There's been a few games that we've talked about that we just went through where the opposing team scored most of their points in the first quarter. You know, we look at last week, UNLV had 17 of their 24 in the first quarter. The super notable one is North Dakota, where we gave up 21 of 24 points for the North Dakota Fighting Hawks in the first quarter. BYU scored 10 of 34 in the first quarter. So not necessarily most of their points coming in the first quarter, but a large portion of them, almost a third of their points coming in the first quarter. And Boise State, kind of that same thing, 10 of 27. So a little more than a third coming in that first quarter. So for me, going scoreless in the first quarter, if it means we're holding the other team to zero, that's a win in my book. And it kind of ended up being a win in everybody's book when we finished the game 26 to 24. But I think that's notable is even if we just slow the pace of the game down in the first quarter and nobody gets to score, and that way we can let Logan Bonner get settled in, let Devin Tompkins get settled in, Derek Wright, uh, our defensive guys, you know, the leaders up front, Nick Henniger, Shaq Bond. If those guys, I don't know what it is. I'm not saying that those guys aren't prepared at the beginning of games to play games. But what I'm saying is if we can just slow the pace down and let all those guys get settled in, obviously it works a little bit better because we're not giving up half or a third of the team's total points in the first quarter. So I think that was a win for Utah State. Looking a little bit closer, what else went right? There's, like I said, there's still plenty that went wrong. One very notable thing that we picked up on during the game is Utah State's balanced attack is back. They have had games, uh, particularly recently, where they kind of struggled to have that real balanced attack on offense, and they were really back to it. 111 yards on the ground, 233 yards in the air. So it doesn't necessarily sound like it was a balanced attack, um, just using the numbers, but the numbers can be a little bit deceiving um, because, for one, you want your rushing yards to be a little bit lower than your receiving yards anyways. And two, you also have to take into account how effective the rush was. And Utah State's running core seemed much more capable of picking up yards, especially when they needed to on the ground this week than they have in weeks past, uh, especially that game against UNLV we, we remember. And it was really tough for that running core to run it up the middle. It was really tough for them to get yards when it seemed like they really needed to. This offense seemed a lot more balanced and, and not just balanced in the numbers, but balanced in their ability to threaten a defense. Um, Colorado State couldn't just write off the run and drop back and guard the pass because we would we'd pick up 15 yards on a run, but they couldn't load the front and just stop the run because we'd throw it over the top of them and and DT or Derek Wright would have a, a big gain in the air. So we really did a great job of keeping Colorado State's defense honest. That was a huge thing for Utah State. I think that they uh, they've improved on um, it, from weeks past where they maybe. Uh, where they maybe couldn't establish a run game as well as they would like to or or different things going on. They did a great job of doing that. So uh, let's go through let's go through the statistics. It'll paint kind of a better picture of what did happen. Then we'll kind of talk about the second half and kind of the breakdown that happened um, and how Colorado State was able to start coming back when it seemed like Utah State was and should have been in command for the whole game. 
Like I said, we, we scored 20 in the second quarter to their 14, so we go into halftime winning, which we haven't done that very often this year. Uh, and after the third quarter, we put another field goal on the board. Uh, we actually hit like three field goals in a row. We hit a field goal, got the ball back, hit a field goal, end of the half, opened up the second half with a drive that ended in a field goal. And at that point, nine straight points, it really felt like Utah State was in command of the game. So what happened after that uh, for that team to kind of break down? We'll talk. We'll we'll look a little bit closer, but I think let's go over the uh, the team stats because I think that paints a clearer picture of, of where this game was at and how balanced our attack was um, and also what our defense was able to do. Logan Bonner was the only quarterback that played. He had 31 attempts and was 17 of those 31. Uh, he threw for 233 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. Um, so really just kind of a standard night for Logan Bonner. He's kind of, he's really settling into that two touchdown, one interception a game. And that's math that generally works out. So I'm I'm pretty okay with that. Um, and then with 233 yards and 17 of 31 to go along with it, I'm pretty okay with Oh, uh, with Logan Bonner's performance. The rushing, like I said, was not only more effective uh, than weeks past, but a lot more reliable. One other interesting thing about both the offense, both the rushing and the receiving individually, is not only did Utah State have a very balanced attack in terms of rushing versus receiving, but they also had a very balanced attack within rushing and within receiving. And you'll see that within the numbers as well with Calvin Tyler Jr. Uh, not not playing. He's he's a little bit banged up. He's hurt. Um, it kind of gave other running backs an opportunity to play a little bit more. Um, and so you're, you're going to see that in the numbers. El Elyon Noah had 26 carries. He was definitely the bell cow running back of this game. He ran for 97 yards, uh, did not rush for a touchdown. We didn't rush for a touchdown all night. Um, his longest rush was 18 yards. Um the other guy that I was very impressed with was Palate Makakona, who rushed for only 29 yards, but did it on only six carries. And so when Makakona got the ball, he was finding a way to move forward. And that's another thing that Utah State has had a little bit of an issue with, is either running up the gut into defenders that stuff them, or trying to run, and they haven't been able to catch an edge quite as well as I would like them to, and Makakona was just able to find a way to move forward. His longest was 13, uh, 13 yards. Uh, this kid's a junior. I'm really excited to see what Makakona can become because this dude is, uh, he, he looked really, really good. Noah and Makakona both looked really, really good in this game. John Gentry had five carries of his own, picked up 18, 18 yards. His longest, just like Makakona, was 13 yards. Um, and then they did run Savon Scarver once, and it worked, of course, because Savon Scarver is a ridiculously athletic kid. He's ridiculously fast. He only got one carry, but he put 10 yards on um, and rushed for 10 yards. So Savon Scarver coming in with, with a, a carry for 10 yards. So 111 yards on the ground split between four guys. Um, and none of them are kind of your first uh, first team quarterback. So definitely... Definitely a great running game, I think, especially coming uh, coming into the game without Calvin Tyler Jr. Receiving was another really, really balanced attack. 
you're going to see that in not only the numbers, but also the touchdowns. Neither touchdown was thrown to Devin Tompkins, which kind of blew my mind as as the game was unfolding, but he was still the leading receiver. He puts up another 100-yard game. Devin Tompkins with six receptions, 104 yards. Um, his longest reception was 34 yards. The kid that really went off against Colorado State was Derek Wright. Two receptions, both of them touchdowns, total of 63 yards. Uh, 38 was the longest reception he had. So Derek Wright with an absolute monster night. Two catches, two touchdowns, 63 yards, and he caught a ball for almost 40 yards. He looked really good. Both of his touchdown catches were really impressive. Um, One was on a fourth and six. We were going on it on fourth down. All we needed to do was get seven or eight yards, and Logan Bonner drops a touchdown to the back of the end zone um, to Derek Wright. So it was a great play. Uh, Derek Wright looked really, really good. Um, when we did find a way to get him the ball. And then, and then after the two leaders, there was, there's kind of a whole team of guys coming up behind those two that didn't get as many touches, but still, um, contributed. We have Carson Terrell, one reception for 20 yards. Um, El Elyon Noah, we actually threw to three times, uh, and he was able to pick up 14 yards on those, on those three throws. Uh, Makakona, we threw to once for another 10, so... Total offense for those two kids is really impressive. Uh, Elion Noah with ending up with over 100 yards if you combine his rushing and receiving. He ends up at around 111, while Palate Makakona ends up with 39 total yards. Uh, and then Brandon Bowling gets a reception as well. His is 9 yards. John Gentry we threw two once for 7 yards. Justin McGriff got two catches for 6 yards. So... Everybody contributing, almost everybody that we threw to got just about a first down or more. And that's one thing about Logan Bonner is he takes shots downfield. If the if the throw is 10 or more yards forward, Logan Bonner is really, really good and he has the recept he has the weapons to go and, and get the ball. So that was a that was a good that was a strong point for Utah State's offense as well, is their receiving game their ability to spread it out. I know Devin Tompkins is a once-in-a-generation athlete. The dude's unbelievable. He's 5'9", plays 7'5", but being able to spread the offense around to other guys, keep Colorado State's defense or, you know, moving forward Hawaii's defense or Wyoming's defense on their toes as to who we're going to throw the ball to is really, really huge moving forward, Um, particularly at this point. We are one game away from bowl eligible, so if we're going to be playing in a bowl, uh, it's going to be probably a tougher opponent than anybody we have left on our schedule. If we play in the Mountain West Championship game, it's going to be against a tougher opponent than anyone we have on our schedule, uh, remaining on our schedule. So things like that are going to be really important in games like, uh, bigger games like that with tougher opponents where, yeah, we go to DT a lot because he's a, a freak of nature type athlete. He's really, really good. But if you want to lock down DT, we have seven other guys that can catch the ball for long yards. We also have four guys that can run the ball really well. So that multiplicity we talk about with Coach Bond on the defensive end uh, is really starting to, to show on offense as well. Speaking of the defense, we had one interception. And it says here one fumble recovered. I thought there was more fumbles than that. Uh, it, it felt like there was 
it felt like there was at least two, um, maybe three even, um, but it felt like there was probably three or four turnovers that Utah State was able to force. I know one of them was like on a on a kickoff that may have been ruled differently, but uh, but the defense played really really well. The special teams played well. Devin Tompkins on kick returns, uh, he returned three. He was able to run 90, 91 yards on the three. Um, obviously, teams are, are not going to be kicking to save on Scarborough anytime soon, which is a real shame. Hopefully, someone kicks to him at some point, and he can pick up one more return for a touchdown to be the, the sole leader in the NCAA. Um, but overall, a, a great performance um, on defense. The defense was really, really good through about three quarters and then as we've talked about they kind of broke down kind of got exhausted I think the second half was a little bit messy for Utah State it wasn't quite as good so let's talk a little bit about that second half and what went wrong and ultimately what went right because we did win the game and it's it's important to to focus on that five and two is five and two we're one game away from bowl eligibility and there's a lot of people losing a lot of money on that. There's a lot of people that really thought we were going to win three games this year. And that's that's really what people thought coming into this year. So um, to be where we are, I think, is pretty impressive. So we, we got to focus on the good, but we also got to look at what went wrong that second half. The second half, from what it looked like to me, was just, as I said, exhaustion kind of breaking down. Um Football is a team sport, and sometimes we think of the offense and the defense as unrelated because they are on the field at different times, and that's exactly in my mind why they're so intertwined. If the offense isn't on the field, the defense is on the field. If the offense can't stay on the field, the defense has to. And in the second half, that's kind of what happened. Um, Utah State... We talked about those three three touchdowns, those three field goals in a row. Utah State really should have been able to punch one of them in for a touchdown. If you look if we look closely at those two field goal drives at the end of the game, we were putting great field position on both of them. On the first we were only able to pick up thirteen yards on seven plays. The second we were only we were only allowed eleven yards on five. The first one was coming off a touchdown, a Colorado State touchdown. They kicked off, and Devin Tompkins returned at 54 yards and gets us to the the 41-yard line, the Rams' 41-yard line. And we're not able to turn that into a touchdown, which is fine. You know, the Rams are going to get their stops. But then on the very next play, we, we kick a field goal, we kick off, we recover the kick, we only move the ball 11 yards and kick a field goal. To, to end the half, which is fine. Again, you just got six points, two field goals, which, you know, it's fine, but it would have been great for one of those to be punched in. We get the ball back in the second half. Like I said, it really started to feel like we were starting to take control of the game. We, you know, to score twice and then get the ball back, to score twice going into halftime and then get the ball back at the start of the half is a huge thing momentum-wise. And to score it all is huge. But it would have been great if we had a touchdown. We we throw we, we get a field goal, 12 plays, we move 55 yards, uh, moving the ball a lot better um, on this play than the other two field goal plays. 
Um, but ultimately, not a, we, we don't get in the end zone. We do kick a field goal, which, again, is fine. Would have been nice for a touchdown, but that's fine. But you can see any, th- any one of those three finds the end zone rather than the uprights, and it kind of changes the entire game, particularly that second half. If you come out after scoring twice to end the half, come out in the second half, and you just run one into the end zone, that's a that's a huge game changer. After that, Utah State doesn't score again until the end of the fourth quarter when it's already clear that Colorado State is starting to rally and Utah State needs to do something. They need to score or else they're going to lose this game. That ends up being true because we hit a field goal and end up winning by two. So after, after we kick the field goal to open the second half, we have three drives in a row where we punt. We have an 11-yard drive, a 25-yard drive, and a 9-yard drive that all end in punts. One of those, the last one, is a three and out. Three plays, nine yards. That drive turns into a field goal for the Rams. So now it's 17-23. to Utah State still has the lead, but a dwindling one. And a touchdown could win the game for the Rams. Um, we, we still have it. We still have a lead where a field goal doesn't do anything, but a touchdown will win the game if, if Colorado State can get it. So Utah State kind of backed up against the wall with Colorado State really moving the ball, really rallying. Utah State, 17-23, to 23, uh, a, small, a small dwindling lead, and they answer back immediately with a field goal. Another field goal where a touchdown would have been great. A, a, a touchdown here would have kind of put the game on ice, but a field goal will have to do because a field goal at least at least you are extending that lead a little bit. And Colorado State answers that immediately with a touchdown of their own. Giving the ball back to Utah State with only a two-point lead. With a two-point lead late in the fourth quarter, not enough time to to burn the clock all the way all the way dead, knowing that the Rams are probably going to get another shot. Those three field goals in a row, and then the fourth one later, really start to get a little bit more frustrating that we couldn't punch any of those in. Because had we gotten any any one of those, and we add essentially just four more points to the score, it would have been 30-24. to 24, Forcing the Rams to have to go get a touchdown to win the game. But since we had to settle for field goals, which is generally okay, Points are points. You only need to win by one. But since we had to settle for field goals, they now have a shot. We punt after six plays. We only get 17 yards, and that's another frustrating drive where Utah State has a need to either score or burn time off the clock, and then you can only get one first down, 17 yards in one of the most crucial drives of the game, and they gave it back to the Rams. And had, had the Rams hit this field goal that they missed on that play, on this drive, that last drive by Utah State, six plays for 17 yards, that would be very, very under the microscope asking why can't we get two or three first downs? Why can't we get a field goal when we need one? We got a field goal when we needed one a drive before when Colorado State started their rally. Why can't we get another one when we need one? Why can't we finish a game? Luckily, that's not what happens. Luckily, the six-play, 17-yard drive doesn't end up really mattering because Colorado State missed the last-minute field goal. We punt. They they move the ball. Seven plays for 61 yards. These guys were really, really moving. 
They were playing with urgency. And quite frankly, they were they, they were going to win the game. They they threw that last first down, 15-yard pass, to get to the Utah State 24, and that should have been game. And I think the most of the Rams probably thought that at that point they'd won the game because all they needed to do was kick a field goal. Now, luckily for Utah State, I don't like saying luckily. It's a little bit luck and a little bit the fact that we had the lead going into that play, which we earned. They missed the field goal. Utah State wins 26-24 in a chaotic one. Definitely room for improvement after this game. Sure, you can play the the Colorado State should have won game. You can play that this year. You can play that in 2019. But at the end of the day, they didn't. For whatever reason, Utah State ends the game with more points than the Rams. That's all that matters at the end of the day. Lots to work on, though. Lots to work on for both teams. Besides the obvious missed field goal that I think you might say lost the game for the Rams, there was also the matter of penalties. I alluded to it earlier. And we've been on the other end of this. We've been on the other end of this in frustrating losses and in games that we didn't want to be so close. We, we talked about this a lot against Boise State when we played Boise State. Colorado State, nine penalties for 86 yards. Utah State, four penalties for 45. We had this same exact conversation where if you're going to give up twice as many yards as the other guys in penalties alone, that's going to be a really tough game to win. So Utah State fixes whatever they had going wrong, ends up on the other side of that equation and has half as many yards given up in penalties as the other guys, and we win the game. So that's something to keep an eye on as well. If Utah State can keep those penalties down, and if other teams are going to give up 86 yards in penalties, what kind of math advantage can Utah State give themselves if they just play smart ball? And they did it this game. I think if Utah State would have given up 86 yards in penalties alone, there's a good chance we would have lost this game, probably by a score or two. If you would have switched that math and if we had... If we had nine penalties for 86 yards and the Rams only had four penalties for 45, we lose that game. We're on the other end of that. I think the penalties are a huge part of why we ended up winning this game by only two. So that's something to keep an eye on too. We've been on the other we've been on the other end of it already this year. And Blake Anderson and his coordinators, Tucker and Bonda, have done whatever they need to do to bring that number down. And hopefully they can keep that number down. Quick look around the conference because it was a big week for the conference, and I think that's just about it for this Utah State game against the Colorado Rams. We could really dive into that game and talk about it for hours and hours and hours, but we're not going to do that. We're just going to take a look right around the conference and see where the Aggies stand. Like I said, this week really was a favorable one for the Aggies. Not that it really matters outside of our own games at this point, because at this point we are in the driver's seat, and if we continue to win, no one else can do anything to take our division title away from us. Um, But it, it was a favorable week and an entertaining week nonetheless. The first game was San Jose State over UNLV. UNLV losing another one score game. They are tied in the country for most one score losses with five. They've lost five one score games all year. It's most of anyone in the country. 
they're going to get their wins. I thought they were going to do it against San Jose. They're going to get their wins. I, I really think they're going to get get a couple wins. I don't think the Mountain West has a, a zero-win team in the conference. I really don't. They play Nevada. I don't, I don't think they're going to pick up their first win in three years to Nevada. But then they have New Mexico. They have Hawaii. I think there's a chance that they win one or two of those games. Um, outside of that game, we have Utah State beating Colorado State, which we've talked about. And then we have a pretty big one, a pretty telling one. We have the New Mexico Lobos upsetting, if you want to call it an upset, which I don't, the Wyoming Cowboys. New Mexico 14, Wyoming 3. Wyoming has completely come unhinged when they got to conference play. The Cowboys are completely off the rails. They have not won a conference game. They've played tough teams. They played. They started against Air Force and Fresno. But then to continue the losing streak against New Mexico, Wyoming, I've said it before, I'll say it again, they are not as good as people thought they were. This is a team that was receiving votes to be in the top 25 earlier this year. And it's the same team. Wyoming is not as good as, as they were supposed to be. I'm a lot less scared for this game. And I think I was right in saying that I was more scared for Colorado State than I was for Wyoming. I think I think we proved that this week. Colorado State's a good team. We almost fell for that trap. San Diego State gets a big win over Air Force. That was a tough one, 20-14. to 14. San Diego State grits out a win against the Falcons. The Falcons now have two losses in the division in the conference, one to us, one to the San Diego State Aztecs. The Falcons are good. The Aztecs are better. That is all there is to it in that game. Two of the top teams in the league just playing football. Aztecs over the Falcons 20-14. to Fresno State back and rolling after their loss uh, against Wyoming. They haven't lost since. And they pick up a big win against division foe Nevada. The Wolfpack now have two losses as well. This was a game that I thought if Nevada would have won, they probably had a shot to get to the top 25, but since Fresno won, I don't think either of them will be. Um, but yeah, great, great game by Jake Hayner and the Fresno State Bulldogs. Um, Carson Strong and the Wolfpack just fall short 32-34. to A really tight game there. There are some good football teams in the division, in, the, in in that division. I think all three of those teams in San Diego State, Fresno, and Nevada are really, really good. I think those are teams that can compete with just about anybody in the country. They've already proven that they can. And so those those three teams are really fun. I think Air Force is really good as well, and I hope, I hope Utah State can um, solidify their spot at the top of the the conference as well everyone's kind of down on utah state because they only win close games but you know what they find a way to win against everybody and they they really play the level of their opponent when they play against air force they drop 49 points when they play against colorado state they score 26 either way they're finding ways to win so one one last note on utah state there the last game of the week was hawaii blowing out new mexico state 48 to 34 not really a close one. Hawaii just, again, taking care of business. New Mexico State is uh, a program that's not having a lot of success right now. Hawaii is a middling, at best, team in the Mountain West, kind of a bottom, bottom half of the Mountain West team. 
Uh, really just taking care of business against New Mexico. Hawaii, our next opponent this, this weekend. Um, hopefully we can take care of business against Wyoming. And then we actually have the New Mexico State Aggies um, the following week. So both of these opponents we have coming right up for Utah State. Um, Hawaii certainly the better opponent, certainly more formidable, but certainly both teams are beatable, and hopefully we can go 2-0 in, in those games as well. Um, I have talked about, though, if we're going to drop a game, if we absolutely have to lose a game, it better be to the New Mexico State Aggies. So uh, let's get through this week against uh, Hawaii, and then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll go from there. Great week for Mountain West football and another one coming up this week. Uh, make sure you are tuning in this Thursday when we break down that Hawaii game and talk a little bit about that. Um, and also we'll be talking talking some hoops because that is quite literally starting this week. We have a game this week. So if you can find your way to the Spectrum on a Wednesday night, there's no better place to be on a Wednesday in Logan than the D. Glenn Smith Spectrum. So hope to see you there and hope to see you at the Mav against Hawaii this weekend. Go Aggies.